Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And we're back. We're back again to talk about video games. I don't know why I'm, like, half singing this. No, it's all right. You got, it's a, been, got a little song in your heart. Got a, a song in my heart and eggs in my belly. <laughs> did, you have, did you have breakfast for dinner today, I had, Chris? I had fried rice for dinner today. Ah, uh, okay, uh, makes sense. It is... To the audience, I apologize. I... The, the, the cooped upness is starting to get to me, and I, I got some of that out with some auditioning earlier today, but now I'm just kind of like, Acha! <laughs> Why are you the guru from Sly 3? <laughs> that was a deep pull, my it dude. It was a pretty deep pull. That was an incredibly I... deep pull, <laughs> and I love it. But you know what? That was the first thing I thought of when you made I'm that noise. I'm proud of you. <laughs> hey, Dylan, what are we talking about today? Oh, we're doing a al- character analysis of video game avatars, Chris. Hell yeah, we're doing something that requires a lot more uh, cognitive ability than our usual horseshit. And I'm like this, so we'll Be see afraid. how that goes. Be very afraid. <laughs> uh, but yeah, last week we did an episode where we, we looked at Link in The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time as a sort of like... The same way that we frequently use Star Wars for the purposes of like breaking down tropes because we can you can kind of assume... Most people have some understanding of Star Wars. Yeah. Similarly, most people who would care enough about games, I feel, to listen to a show like this probably have at least a passing familiarity with Ocarina of Time. Uh, So we broke down, like, Link's character and Link's character arc as we would a character that we were playing in a show. Yeah. And now we're going to do that again. Dylan's prepped something, I've prepped something, and we're going to do a little bit more of, uh, of the work. So who's gonna go first? Why don't you? Oh, why not me? All right. Um, and so I, I figured the way we can do this is, you know, you can be the scary drama professor and ask any questions. Yeah. Um, as we go along. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> the part I was born to play. Yeah, naturally. All right. So Chris, the game that I have decided to present today is Castlevania: Aria of Sorrow for the Game Boy Advance. Very cool. A game that I have played the first few hours of, but not. Oh, okay all of it so i will be i'll be i'll be along in a more active way for the first little bit of what you're talking about well i'll apologize right now because i am going to spoil the entire plot of castlevania aria of sorrow that is okay i've already had it spoiled for me in the past so we're good okay well that was a spoiler warning to you too listeners aha i don't know what that laugh was for (laughs) yeah this is we're in a see, weird spot tonight, well, and I'm loving it. This see, is I'm the like, kind of raw podcasting energy I live for. I kind of pushed myself to match your energy, but now it's <laughs> made me loopy. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> aboard. Part of the ship, part of the crew. So, I don't really, I haven't taken any notes. This isn't a real college course, so this will be a little rough and dirty phrasing. Detention! Anyway. Detention! In college? I don't fucking know. Go on. Okay. So... Given circumstances, we'll start with those. Uh, so, full spoilers for the game. Uh, the main character of Castlevania, Aria of Sorrow, Soma Cruz, is a reincarnation of Dracula. In Castlevania lore, Dracula is the... He's basically the Bowser of the Castlevania franchise. Or the, you know, the Ganondorf, whatever. Yeah. Archetypal, like, this is the big bad of the whole franchise. By Castlevania, Aria of Sorrow, the setting is... 
technically Japan in the year 2036. And that seems really weird for a story about Dracula, so I'm going to break that down. In Castlevania lore, uh, Dracula is resurrected once every hundred years. Um, and so the game developers realized, oh shit, we're running out of centuries to pull from um, um, future. But in the year 1999, because Nostradamus was the thing, in the year 1999, the Belmonts, who are the typical heroes of the Castlevania series, had a huge fight. Uh, it's called the Demon Castle War, um, and they put an end to Dracula for good. They work with um, a Shinto shrine to seal the castle inside a solar eclipse. Yes, that sounds metal. Yes, it is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and so Dracula... Well, Art of Sorrow feels like it fell into the, like, the, the phase of Castlevania's storytelling structure where they were just like painting it on the side of a van with an airbrush it, it very much was like uh we we need to do something new because we've fallen in a rut yeah um and so dracula cut off from the source of his power which is the castle is dead like he dies and is dead for good and he isn't resurrected he is instead reincarnated because castlevania aria of sorrow introduces concepts from hindu mythology and uh buddhism so Dracula is reincarnated as Soma. Soma being, by the start of our story, an 18-year-old Japanese uh, boy living in Japan who is going to see the solar eclipse in Japan with his uh, childhood friend Mina. And the inciting incident of the story is he wakes up and he's in Dracula's castle. That's not the inciting incident. That's the status quo. Um, <laughs> God, I just realized I have to explain like who Alucard is. If you haven't Alucard seen the Castlevania son. Yeah, I mean, like, it's very straightforward and easy, but I just realized, like, oh, yeah, not everyone has played Castlevania or watched the Netflix series. And at this point, that whole, uh, the, the lore of that game is large. Well, yeah, I, yeah. Alucard shows up. He's also disguised as a Japanese man. Don't worry about it. And he basically starts questioning you why you're here. What What are you doing? Um, and you as Soma, you don't really know what you're doing. You just kind of pass down. You wake up here with your childhood friend Mina. And then monsters attack. Alucard's able to take, uh, to take care of most of them with an ability he has from Sympathy of the Night, which is a really cool touch, but that's getting, uh, aside the point. Um, and there's one left, uh, surviving. And so Soma has to take it out. And so Soma attacks this monster and then something weird happens. The monster dies and its soul flies into Soma. And Alucard tells Soma that his he has awakened to a new power called the Power of Dominance. And that for in order for him and Mina to leave this castle, which is in the solar eclipse, they, they somehow get transported to a dimension between the moon and sun. It's awesome. Shut up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in order to leave, he has to go to the master's room or the throne room. Um, and there he will find the answers to why he has this power and what he has to do to to leave and go back home. Um, so obviously the inciting incident is his power of dominance awakening. You know, a bunch of stuff happens in the story, but for sake of brevity, I'll skip to the end where Soma has, uh, he learns that he is the reincarnation of Dracula. Alucard shows up once again to tell him that now that he knows that he's Dracula, he has a choice to make. He can either embrace being Dracula again and start the cycle all over again. Cycle, you know, like Samsara, like Hindu faith. There's a there's a trend <laughs> here. 
or he can break the cycle and destroy the castle himself and put an end to all of this for good, like put an actual period on this conflict. And is that a choice that is given to the player? Technically, yes. Um, oh, that's rad. Technically, yes. So they they do like the Symphony of the Night inverted castle thing where you go through the entire inverted castle and you get to the end um, and there is you, you have a boss fight with basically the personification of the castle itself. And I know that sounds weird, but they, they establish in Symphony of the Night that the castle has kind of been morphed by dark magic into its own living, breathing creature. Um, and so the final boss is basically the soul of the castle, which you destroy and then uh, you are sent back home. Um, however, you have the option of intentionally getting a game over, which gives you a cool alternate cutscene where you can get a game over where they kind of play out the what is a man cutscene, except you are Dracula and the Belmont of Aria of Sorrow, Julius Belmont, is there to challenge you. But there's also another ending, and I think this one's a bit more pertinent to the character arc that Soma has. So, more given circumstances. I'm sorry this is really dirty and messy, Chris. It's okay. That's Hey, you know what, guys? Sometimes the art of, uh, of prepping for a performance is dirty and messy. Sometimes the art of prepping for a performance takes place over the course of a day. I recently... I can't say much about it, but I booked a gig for which I'm going to be getting the script the day before recording. Hey, so nice. That's exciting. Sometimes, sometimes you got to do this shit fast and loose. <laughs> <laughs> so the instruction manual of Castlevania Aria Sorrow, because yes, that's a valid source. Yes. Um, oh, man. Can Okay. <laughs> 20 seconds of just like, remember when instruction manuals were included with games and they were chock full of lore and story details and character art and like, God. I miss those days. Dude, anyway, continue. The, the only reason why I know the entire, like, not the entirety, but, like, a huge portion of Metroid lore is because the Metroid Fusion instruction manual kind of did a story so far of the first four games, <laughs> which is awesome. I love that when, when games do that. But anyway, uh, back to Castlevania. Uh, they established that Soma is kind of a antisocial. He's kind of a loner. Me, like his his friend Mina, she's like the socialite. She's the one who's more outgoing. He's kind of the the sulky, moody type of guy who doesn't really socialize with people well. Um, and so as you explore the castle, Castlevania's castle, the the Castlevania, mm. I I don't know. Um, as you explore Dracula's castle, uh, you you run more into... more than one of them are Castlesvania. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you, you, you meet more people in addition to Alucard, who again is using the alias Genya Arikado. You meet, uh, a descendant of the Belnades, uh, clan, Yoko Belnades. And you also meet the merchant of Castlevania, Aria of Sorrow, who is actually just a U.S. Army soldier who was sent to investigate a shrine and then ended up in the castle. And now uh -huh. he's like, all right, I guess I'm gonna loot this place and sell it for money. <laughs> oh my God. I love him. His name's Hammer. He's great. Um, and as as he meets in these people, um, Yoko specifically tells Soma that like, yes, what the power that you have is a dark power. It's it's not something that the church would find you know righteous, but a dark power does not intrinsically make you evil. It is something that it it it's a tool. You know, it's a tool, and whether or not. It's good or evil depends on the user. And so 
to unlock the ending to even figure out that like Soma's actually the reincarnation of Dracula because there's a red herring antagonist who who believes himself to be Dracula to even get that you have to explore the castle and find three books that give you hints on uh what you have to do and basically what you have to do is you have to equip three souls so the mechanics of Castlevania Aria of Sorrow like I've said before is that Soma's able to absorb the souls of monsters and use them to do his bidding the souls that Soma has to absorb are the fire demon, which allows him to shoot three fireballs, the giant bat soul, which allows him to turn into a bat and fly, and the succubus soul, which allows him to attack enemies to replenish his own health. And what those three souls are mechanically resemble uh, the attacks Dracula has and, you know, the greater Dracula mythos where he can turn into a bat and he drinks blood to sustain himself. And he shoots um, fireballs, I guess. He shoots fireballs in Castlevania. Yeah. Like, that, that's his boss attack pattern. Um, and so Soma really has to kind of accept and embrace what he is in, in order to get the truth and learn everything. And if you beat the final, if you beat the fake final boss, all that really happens is Soma awakens outside of the castle with Mina, and you don't know what happens to everyone else. And it's, you know, it's a fine ending, but it's, not exactly satisfying um but if you learn that you're dracula and you destroy the castle yourself by your own hands uh everyone kind of shows up to thank you and there's there's much more of a feeling of resolution because you know that everyone else escaped the castle with you um and it's it's soma accepting himself but also kind of reinforces that soma has become more open to other people because I guess to also use given circumstances, if we know Dracula, one thing we know about Dracula is that Dracula does not like people. No, Dracula, uh, noted shut-in. Yeah, uh, if you watch the first episode of season one of Netflix Castlevania, like, that tells you everything you need to know about Dracula's character. God, that's such a good show. Yeah, that first episode is also characters. extremely strong. Very powerful. Yeah, and I think what's what's fun about Aria of Sorrow for this kind of discussion is it taps really hard into something that we talked about last week, mm -hmm. uh, which is this idea that I brought up of like one of the dangers in acting is the idea of like you analyze the role so deeply that you end up playing the end at the beginning. Yeah. So like Soma Cruz, if you know the story, you know from the word go that he is Dracula. Yeah. Oedipus Rex, if you read know if you know the whole story, you know from the beginning that he is uh Yocasta's son. Soma doesn't know that at the beginning. Soma, for Soma, the discovery that he is a reincarnation of Dracula is one of, if not the biggest moment of recognition and reversal for him as a character. And for you as a player, if you're going in blind, that's similarly, it's a moment of like, oh. And that's like what that, this is. Yeah, a puzzle piece clicking into place that makes the rest of the story make sense. And that's a really cool, like, not every story is constructed in that way with like a big piece of given circumstance that is, you know, the final puzzle piece. But when when it's done well, it can be really cool. Chris, I can't wait for you to get further in Final Fantasy seven. I also can't wait. <laughs> is there anything else you any any final thoughts from you on uh, on Soma Cruz and Aria of Sorrow to kind of sum it all up in one like what what the fuck is the term? Like, it's describing the action of the play. Yeah, but, like, I know there's, a, like, a, a term for that. I, if there is one, it has long since left my brain in okay. the four years since I was in an academic setting. Fair enough. 
Um, okay, so in order to uh, prevent the mistakes of the past from repeating themselves, Soma must learn to accept himself and embrace others. Okay, I dig it. God, the Castlevania games are cool. <laughs> yeah, they're they're super cool. Like the best thing about Castlevania uh, is that like even though any one game might not have like a huge like super compelling plot the tapestry they all make when put next to each other like is something awesome yeah and i think that's that's something that that games have the ability to do because they can be engaging through things other than plot yeah they can have this thing where like each individual game doesn't have that much going on but like taken as a whole the series can be like becomes very interesting yeah like I mean that that's a that's a topic for another time. Yeah, but like Maybe, I've, I've talked, we might to, have I've just gu- found another episode. <laughs> yeah, I've I've gushed about how well Devil May Cry does this because like the yeah. first two games are like really really simple plot wise, but you know they're important to the rest of the series. So. Yeah. So All now right. we're gonna let's let's pivot. Yeah. Because I want to talk about Dishonored. Okay. And this is a game I've talked about before for a number of reasons. It's a very interesting game along a lot of metrics. But I want to talk about the way that it it has one pretty consistent line of action throughout the whole thing. To, and I'll, I'll probably kick off by discussing doing what Dylan just did with uh, that one sentence kind of summary. But the exact experience and the exact way that the story unfolds can vary a lot based on how you play, much in the same way that two companies putting on the same play can end up telling pretty radically different versions of that story because of the choices that are being made by the actors and the directors and the, the designers. So Dishonored, given circumstances, you play as Corvo Atano, who is the Queen Protector, or the Empress Protector, I think, is his title, of this so, like pseudo-steampunk British Empire, essentially. Mm-hmm. And you return from a job abroad, and you reun- reunite with the Empress Caldwell and her daughter, and shortly thereafter, she is killed. And you are framed for her murder and you are thrown in jail. And the people who are actually responsible for her murder, the politicians and sort of power brokers who worked behind the scenes, are now in charge of the country. And so you as Corvo Atano set out on this quest of revenge. Jumping ahead to the end, like we like to do, Corvo wins. Corvo ends up joining up with uh, a group of supposed loyalists who want to reinstate the Empress, or the Empress's daughter, as the head of state but about halfway through or probably more like two-thirds of the way through uh they betray corvo too because they were just using corvo with all of his assassiny skills to get rid of the uh the current higher powers and so they throw him into a dumpster and they take over using the emperor uh the the empress's daughter as a figurehead to be fair fuck the monarchy yeah honestly but (laughs) uh so corvo then to save the Empress's daughter, who you also find out through the course of the play is his daughter, uh, you have to then, you know, wipe out the people that you were working with for that period, too. So in, in simplest terms, Dishonored is a game in which Corvo, in order to save his daughter, has, has to learn who he can trust and who he can't and, uh, like, make the world a safe place for his daughter. That's what just popped into my head. I didn't really prep that one. There's probably a more a more concise way to say I that. I mean, it, it took me a while to to find the right words, yeah. so you're fine. Um, but what's interesting about Dishonored is that mm-hmm. Dishonored, at its core, like the core kind of unique gameplay point that it has, 
is that it gives you a lot of options for how to solve the game's problems either violently or non-violently. Uh, it is, at its core, a stealth game, but it is a stealth game where you also have access to pretty decent ability with a sword and gun, and you have, like, explosive mines that you can place, or you have sleeping darts that you can shoot, or you have, like, a minor teleportation ability, or you can summon a horde of rats to eat people. So you've got, like, you've got a big utility belt that you can choose to invest into either skills that allow you to move unseen and get away from conflict, or skills that make you very effective in combat. And so the entire game ends up being one of, like, how do you get from this side of the square to that door that you need to get in, get into that in, that like between here and there are eight guards on patrol routes and a couple of like lightning fences you need to get through and you know a shop that you can stop into and maybe some side quests to do but on top of that every mission is every mission culminates in an assassination so you go out on your first mission and your job is to assassinate essentially like the the head of the the papal guard for lack of a better word it's like mm -hmm. a religious order of like law enforcement yeah if i remember and, this and you have the option of you if you want to you can make a beeline to him and you can kill the dude and you can get out and that'll be it or you can choose to find a way to not non-violently necessarily but without you expressly killing him get rid of him uh, in the case of the the head of the of this like cop church, <laughs> rather than killing him, you can knock him unconscious and brand him with the mark of a sinner. Yep. So that he is then like exiled from his own order. Yep. 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 Which is not a nice thing to do. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> but it is like the the quote unquote less violent option. See also the. I think second mission where you have to get rid of a, a pair of twins who own like a high-end brothel slash information brokering establishment. And again, you can either kill them and there's even in that there's options where like if you want to, you can walk up to them and do a stab and they will die. Or you can like you can listen around and, and skulk around until you find out like, oh, Pembry is heading down to the steam room and you can lock him in the steam room and turn the steam all the way up to kill him, which is fucking gruesome or you can do a favor for a local crime boss and then he will have his men head in and kidnap them and disfigure them and cut out their tongues and sell them into slavery in their own salt mines damn son yeah which again <laughs> is not what would typically be referred to as like the good option no i don't but think it it's a the... question of uh good or uh like bad in the infamous is the first thing in my mind no, yeah dishonored yeah no it it very much isn't it's more like do you want to be someone who is a murderer or do you want to find ways to get things done that do you hate this less? person so much that you're gonna give them a fate worse than death yeah but it, even outside of that that's one f uh factor that feeds into an overall like what the game refers to as a level of chaos in the city so doing it in these like more quiet more like no this isn't some outside person doing this they just went missing the guy was just he was a sinner he was exiled mm -hmm. uh it keeps the chaos in the city low which leads to less challenging things down the road mm -hmm. in in exchange for you going out of your way to do the more complex stuff so it's kind of a, a difficulty thing but it also leads to some like pretty major story moments for example one of your allies and 
the one of the only allies who does not betray you when the rest of the people uh in the like the loyalists betray you is the boatman Samuel who takes you to and from your jobs and so at the very end once you've killed all of the other resist uh or loyalist people who who fucked you over the last one left is the guy who's now in charge and so Samuel is taking you out by boat to like the tower where he's locked himself and if you have gone for a low chaos run Samuel like thanks you and he's like you know you know, Corvo, I always thought you were a decent sort. Thanks for trying to keep your hands clean. And if you've gone for the high chaos route, he shoots you and dumps you out of the boat and you have to swim the rest of the way. Wow. Because that's like, he's like, you, I recognize why you are doing what you're doing, but like, man, you're a son of a bitch. <laughs> like you're spreading the plague. You are actively yeah. making this place worse. Exactly. And that's just, I, I really love dishonored when looking at it from a character analysis point of view because dishonored lets you decide through your gameplay choices what kind of character corvo is going to be without because like the the story beats stay the same and obviously dishonored changes something more based on actor choices than something like hamlet is going to right hamlet's always going to kill polonius through the curtain hamlet's always going to force feed claudius poison at the end of the play right but that kind of like on the on the encounter level, when you're looking at like if you look at a, a a gameplay encounter as a scene, if you look at how do I get to that manhole that I need to get to to progress the game past all these guards as a scene full of obstacles for you to overcome, you have the choice of tactics and you have a lot more choice of tactics than most games that pertain to be about choice. It's not just like, you know, Mass Effect pick your if you're going to do a Paragon text option or a renegade text option mm -hmm. you you know it's still limited there is a there no game trick and truly offer you unlimited choices if any game claims that they are lying i also i'm not sure if i want a game to offer me unlimited Correct. choices I would, I would be paralyzed <laughs> yeah <laughs> but there are a lot of different options even beyond just like lethal or non-lethal you have the option of like do you want to be sneaky or do you want to go for like the platforming challenge of trying to stick to the rooftops? If you're going to be violent, are you going to try and just go in like sword and gun akimbo and do it that way? Or are you going to stick to the shadows and assassinate and send hordes of rats to do your bidding? There's a huge amount of player input that feels like it has an impact on the story and on the kind of character you're playing as in a way that a lot of games don't, but in a way that is very indicative of how like, you know, the job of an actor is to make individual choices about what every single line is and why every single line is being said and what every single line is trying to get. And so, you know, is to be or not to be a dagger in the chest or is it teleporting to the roof? That's my button on this little moment. <laughs> Sorry, I just really enjoyed that. I'm glad because it felt very dumb as it was coming out of my mouth. <laughs> Sorry. But that's all I've got for this. I hope that you uh, you learned something today, friends. Any final thoughts for the the lovely people at home, Dylan? Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I'm 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 trying to think. Like, I feel like there is a button to put on this, but like, yeah. I think I think the button is just like consider this kind of thing. Like, this is the same call to action we did last time, but it's it's an interesting thought exercise to like look at games the way you would another medium that's what our whole fucking podcast is about but yeah like, exactly look um, at look oh. at your favorite game through the lens of like what the main character like what is their start point what is their end point and how do they get there 
and right. start looking at like the ways that the game's mechanics are engaging with that because that's what games have that make them unique and like i don't know that i i would find it difficult to find a game more complex than like i don't know duck hunt that doesn't have something to dig into right and if you think you found one send it to me and i'll i'll analyze that shit i'll analyze the shit out of it mm, yeah <laughs> Uh, anyway, for thank five dollar patrons, we will <laughs> analyze a game of your choice. <laughs> anyway, thank you all for listening to this episode of Backstage Gaming. We hope you enjoyed yourself. Until next time, remember that wherever you get your podcast, whether it's the Apple Podcast Service, Spotify, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, you can find us there. And remember to leave a rating or review for us. It means a lot, and it helps other people find us. And that that also means a lot to us. Also, remember to check us out at our website, bsgpod.com, if you want to know more about us, more about the show, or if you want to get in touch with us. There's a contact form there if you have any kind of business inquiry or just want to shoot us a, uh, a more private question. Um, if you want to hit us up on social media, you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter, where our handle is at bsg underscore cast. And if you want to uh, talk about any of the stuff we've talked about on this episode, or any episode, really, you should use that hashtag BSGpod. Also, huge, huge thanks to our friend Brendan French for the key art he has provided our show. Um, if you dig his stuff, you should check him out on his Squarespace at brennan-french.squarespace.com. That is b-r-e-n-n-e-n-french.squarespace.com. You can also find him on Instagram.com slash Brennan French Arts and on Twitter, uh, where his handle is at Brennan underscore French. Thank you also to our friend BioQuery for the use of our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. If you like our theme song, you'll probably like the rest of his music. He's a great electronica composer and musician, and you can find all of his music by heading to SoundCloud.com slash BioQuery. That's SoundCloud.com slash B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y or by searching for BioQuery on Spotify. Thank you also to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. It's a great network full of video game podcasts, of, of all things. Who would have thought? And if you like our show, you'll probably like some of theirs. They've got shows about fandom. They've got shows about news. They've got shows about development. They've got shows about all kinds of things pertaining to games. And one of them will certainly be a match for you. So go check them out on Twitter at HPVGPodNetwork. And thank you, as always, to our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod. It is thanks to you that we were able to keep this thing going, and it means the world to us that we are not losing money making this show. That is an incredibly cool feeling to have, and God it bless. wouldn't be possible without you. In fact, I finally, after far too long, got around to making the postcards that are there for some of our higher uh, tier patrons to say thank you, so those are going to be going out shortly to those of you who have been very patient while we figure out all the logistics of this bullshit. So get excited <laughs> for those if you are a patron, and if you want a cool postcard, go ahead and go over to patreon.com slash bsgpod and click on some buttons there to give us money. I lost the thread a little bit. Amazing. Anyway, thank what you all plug. for listening, and we will be back with you again on Thursday. Until then, Bye-bye. Everybody stay healthy. I love you. Mwah.